Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews here in the studio today with Maynard Nexon, healthcare attorney Matthew Roberts. Matthew, good to be with you. Good to see you. Joining us today is Dr. Marcus Blackstone. He's a doctor of medicine and leader at Bon Secours Mercy Health, which is one of the nation's largest Catholic ministry and healthcare systems. Dr. Blackstone, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Good afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, you've worked in a variety of physician leadership positions within Bon Secours and have grown into bigger and bigger leadership roles. Can you tell us a little bit about your current role right now, which is Acute Care Chief Medical Officer? So, sure. My current role um, is a system role where we're responsibility for the acute facilities and Bon Secours Mercy Health. I actually have two partners. I have a chief care delivery officer and I have a counterpart that's an ambulatory chief medical officer. Between the three of us, anything clinical and patient care related um, actually falls under one of the three of us. So we all have dedicated areas that we're primarily responsible for, but there's a you know fair amount of overlap. Um, and we try to look at things from the standpoint of not just on the hospital side, not just on the practice side, but make sure that there's a continuum between the two. Um, and so that's really my role um, is really a lot of it is support role for our markets um, who have, you know, who have accountability, you know, for their geographical areas. But we work to really support the markets. Also, one of the big focuses is is we've decentralized things is to standardize what makes sense. And so when you look across, you know, when you look across our markets, you look across our system, there are certain things that make sense to standardize to a point, keep it in mind that our markets are different. So that's the biggest part of my role is really uh, a lot of support um, to the 10 markets that we have. Well, Dr. Blackstone, thanks again for doing this. And you manage thousands of physicians. And what are some of the challenges of managing physicians that are different specialties, different geographic markets, different payer mixes? Um, tell us a little bit about that challenge. So it is a challenge. And then the other piece you added, Matthew, is that, you know, in different markets, you have different percentage of employed versus affiliated. Uh, and so when you, when you, you know, when you look at the different groups of physicians and you look at the different markets, you know, they're different geographics. Some of them are, you know, mainstream city. We have rural areas. Um, and then to your point, there's a lot of different, you know, payer mixes. And so we actually have a clinical leadership um, structure that has a chief clinical officer in each market. And that was my former role in Greenville uh, before I moved into this role. And so that's our direct conduit in each market from a clinical perspective as a chief clinical officer. And so they really do a lot of the, you know, or do pretty much all the physician management in their particular markets. But once again, it, it really becomes a support role for us. And they become the conduit as to as we roll things out, as we standardize things to help us make sure those are initiated in the different markets. But it is a challenge. And so, you know, when I talk about standardization, you can standardize to a point, but because of the differences that we just talked about, you really have to be able to be, you know, agile and flexible, um, dependent on the market. Let's talk about technology next. No doubt it has an impact on healthcare. Uh, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on, on how it's impacting healthcare today. And then, is it possible that it could 
maybe negatively impact the practice of health at some point in some ways? So technology's come a long way. And so it's given us a lot of advantages in, in patient care. The, the first one that usually comes to mind is robotics and surgery, you know, where things are more precise, you know, leading to faster recoveries, less painful recoveries, that kind of thing. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things. And so, so many areas that there has been such advancements in technology. One thing is keeping up because everybody wants the newest technology, the newest toy. And, you know, as a system, you can't have all of them. You know, you, there's got to be some rationalization around what makes sense, what's best for patient care. Um, and so that becomes difficult, you know, when you start trying to figure out what's applicable. Um, because, you know, we as physicians think that, you know, we need um, what we need for our patients. But at the end of the day, does it really make a difference in patient care or patient outcomes is really what we focus on. So even though it has advanced um, health care, I do think at times it, it makes it tough to take care of patients because you have so, so many different technologies um, that, you know, that you can use. Yeah, that is the counterintuitive aspect to it um, uh, of technology. We know that patient communication is critical, uh, and it, we know it's difficult, particularly on the inpatient side of things. Um, how are you trying to manage this on the inpatient and ambulatory side when you're dealing with patients and families and trying to provide care, do the clinical things which are necessary, but then also to keep the patients and their families informed of what's happening, what, you know, what's the diagnosis and prognosis? So admittedly, this is tough. Right. You know, the patient communication part. I mean, we really struggled with this during COVID. You know, when everybody was isolated, when families couldn't necessarily visit COVID units, it, you know, it really became tough. And so we, we flipped a lot to virtual or telephonic. You know, we've since kind of backed off of some of that. I think for us, it's, it's making sure that we don't forget about that patient care relationship between nursing, uh, physicians, um, you know, APPs and, you know, or other, you know, other healthcare workers who help take care of the patient, that there's an open line of communication. You know, our nurses can get rid of or can, you know, get a hold of our physicians at any time. And so I think it's understanding the need to make sure that the patient and the family is informed, especially if a patient can't communicate. It's real important to determine who is the communicator for the patient, because it's tough to try to communicate sometimes with eight or 10 family members. So I think we try to isolate who is the primary person for communication, what's the best way they want to communicate. Um, and I think that's what we try to maximize. I think one thing that's actually helped in this area is over the years, the advent of hospitalist type groups that are in the hospital 24 seven. And so if something comes up, usually there's somebody from that team who can actually step in and, you know, and have a conversation or figure out what needs to happen from that standpoint. But it's tough. I mean, you know, it's a it's something that we have to work at regularly to make sure because patients want to communicate in different ways. You know, take our older patients, for example, a lot of them don't have apps. You know, some of them have cell phones. And so not just on the inpatient side, but even on the outpatient side, you know, we've got things like my chart, you know, in Epic, you know, that's the patient portal. Um, and, you know, that works well for, you know, a lot of our populations, but not for everybody. 
So I'll, you know, just transparently say it's still a work in progress, you know, yeah. to figure out what is that best way of communication. I mean, there's platforms, there's other ways um, that companies have to do it, but I don't think any of us have figured out, you know, the perfect way to do it by any by any stretch of imagination. You mentioned the patient portal, and and that is great for the patient as the recipient of the information. Is it more of a burden on physicians in general when 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 the patient or the families are f- asking follow up questions through the portal that someone ultimately the physician has to provide that information? I don't know that it's more difficult. It's an, it's another avenue you have to check and look at, you know, versus you know face to face conversation, telephone conversation. Now, you know, depending on how that you know how it's done and what portal is used, I think it's now become just we're used to them uh, from that standpoint. Sometimes it's actually easier because you can take care of it, you know, in that, in the portal itself, which sometimes saves a phone call, um, you know, having to figure out who to make that phone call to. So I think there there are advantages. Um, I don't know that there's a disadvantage to be very frank, because it is another means to be able to communicate with a patient. Uh, I think it's just become, you know, part of what we do. Um, in our patient communication now. Switching to physician sentiment about their own careers, the COVID pandemic clearly had a huge impact on physicians and negatively impacted some physician satisfaction rates with their career. What are you doing as a leader? What's your team doing to address this? So in my role, um, physician wellness and well-being or provider wellness and well-being actually rolls up to me. And so we had some programs in place prior to COVID. They actually got ramped up significantly in COVID. They're everything from coaching to group meetings um, to basically lifestyle assistance where we have programs that will help the physicians you know, if they if they need help, you know, during their day with stuff, we have multiple programs. I think there's five in total that are offered. Um, and so that was done during COVID. And then as we've come out of COVID, um, a lot of people are still struggling, you know, because it really changed a lot about how we practice medicine, how we interact. Um, you know, we went to basically 100% virtual there for a while on the outside of the hospital. Um, and even in the hospital, it was mostly virtual when you talk about the communication part of it, even though it was face to face with patients, um, you know, it was tough. Everybody was masked. Everybody was gowned up. So you didn't even hardly recognize people sometimes, you know, when the mask went away, just because you hadn't seen faces in so long from that standpoint. Right. But we continue to have the wellness programs. Um, we actually um, this past summer. We, and actually in the fall for um, Physician Suicide Awareness Day, we actually did a webinar um, to make sure that, you know, the, you know, applicable information was presented. We had a national expert come in and talk about, you know, um, you know, physician wellness and in particular, you know, around physician suicide. So it continues to be a focus of ours. We actually um, have gone back and just recently We'll set up a wellness committee to look across all of our ministries um, and all of our markets at what they're doing at a local market level. And, you know, what can we learn from what they're doing locally? What can we help support from a system standpoint? So it still continues to remain a focus for us. 
Yeah, it's important. It's important because we know that it's a it's a difficult job on its best day, and and certain things have made it tougher. Speaking of something that could make uh, a job tougher for a physician, let's talk a little bit about the pros and cons of electronic medical records from a physician standpoint. <clears throat> we know in theory it's good for uh, the patient, and we know it's good for the payers because a lot of electronic medical record systems are designed really to, to, to effectuate the payment. But it's, a, it's, a, it's very expensive for the hospitals, and it's also – a tough training process for the physicians, particularly if they have to change over. Can you talk a little bit about that um, from a physician perspective primarily? Sure. So, you know, in the advent of medical records in my career, having gone from all paper, electronic and multiple iterations, I I think there are advantages that have come along with it. But at the same time, I think there are um, areas where electronic medical records have kind of cut into medical practice. Um, right. the, the, the big positive about electronic medical records is you have access to so, so much information at your fingertips. You know, now that with, you know, we communicate in systems that where, you know, with Epic, for example, you know, the, you know, different organizations are on Epic, the information feeds in. So you can access it if somebody's seen it in, in another hospital outside of your system if they have Epic. So there's advantages there. But unfortunately, I think it, it's cut into the art of medicine. And the art of medicine is sitting down talking to the patient. Um, because unfortunately, you, know, you get driven to more, more and more of the use of the medical record. Whereas before we spent that time sitting, talking, and listening to patients, there's so many different boxes you have to check um, because they're available now. And a lot of this is payer driven. Uh, from a standpoint of us to, you know, to meet certain criteria, I think you have to be careful because there's that there's that danger of treating and looking at the computer instead of the patient sitting in front of you. And I think that's for me, that's the biggest piece of it. I was one of those who didn't take a computer in the room with me. I took a notepad. You know, I pre-charted, I post-charted. Um, but not everybody works that way. And um, I think others have found it challenging, you know, when to, you know, to determine, okay, when do I get away from the computer, you know, get everything I need from the patient and then finish, you know, everything at computer because everything's done there. All your documentation, all your orders. I mean, there is no paper anymore, essentially. Yeah, or, the, or for hospitals that have the resources, they use a scribe. So there's another person in the room that's inputting the information while you, the physician, are talking to the patient, which seems to be a big expense. But it, It's very expensive. Plus, you know, can tell you some patients don't want somebody else in the room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What's their role? Yeah. I mean, in our system, we, I mean, you know, categorically, we don't use scrops. Um, but at the end of the day, there are some systems that do. Um, I have colleagues who, you know, who've had scrops for years. But, you know, not all patients want somebody else in the room, you know, when they're when they're having that, you know, confidential conversation. Right. Another shift in healthcare is the shift from volume-based to value-based care. What are your thoughts on the future in this shift? So value-based care, uh, I think, is definitely here to stay. Um, it, it's been a shift in how we do things. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we're finally getting better at it. 
And, and that, you know, we're looking at, you know, patient populations, we're looking at patients with, you know, certain disease states, and how do we effectively treat them, um, you know, categorically, instead of, you know, one off. And I think now that we're looking at populations and understanding that we're managing populations and, um, you know, where you have to be mindful of what we spend on patient care. Um, I think it's actually a positive. I think it makes us step back and think about, do I really need to do this test? Does this patient really need an additional medication? Um, so I think it's a positive. I do think across the country, we are getting better at some kind of, some organizations are very good at it. Um, but it definitely is a change. Um, and as you look at the volume shift, and especially as we see more volume going from inpatient to outpatient, um, we've got to be mindful of how we, you know, how we manage that volume and how we take care of those patients. Um, I think it brings in the financial component, which historically um, hasn't been how we practice medicine. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's two sides of that. I mean, I think it's it was a long time overdue. Um, so that we can, you know, do our part to control healthcare costs. Uh, at the same time, I think, you know, you just got to make sure that you're still doing the right thing for your patient and that the patient gets what they need from their standpoint. Mm -hmm. right. I guess you have to get that balance right in order to continue to exist in healthcare these days. It will be. And, it, and it's going to be a transition for the physicians as they are measured on things that maybe haven't been points of measurement in the past. Ah. quality metrics, et cetera, cost metrics. Right. right. And the nice part about it, the reporting part of it continues to get better and better. Right. And so the scorecards that we have available to be able to look at the populations that we manage continue to get better, continue to get more detailed. And so that really keeps it in front of us so that we understand where we are, you know, where we are in the patient care um, spectrum. We never knew that before. We didn't have a clue, right. you right. know, and I think that's one of the big advantages is the data piece of it is caught up, you know, with with really the theory of value based care. And now that that's happened and you've got the insight you need and you've got the data you need, I think that's what's helping us get better and better at, you know, at delivering value based care. Well, we've covered a lot of topics today. Dr. Marcus Blackstone, thank you so much for joining us. You are, the again, the Acute Care Chief Medical Officer, Bon Secours Mercy, Mercy Health, and we are grateful for your time. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. For those of you who joined us today, we hope you enjoyed this conversation, learned a little bit more about the healthcare industry. And on behalf of Matthew and the whole team at Taking the Pulse, we look forward to seeing you next time right here on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. <laughs>